0: Welcome back everyone i'm here again with sean mcfate uh we're going to talk about the kind of the next phases of the ukrainian conflict so just the level set it is may 31st uh, the latest i know is that the the ukrainians had a successful uh operation that pushed the russians out of uh, kharkiv um, at the same time, the Russians started or ha- have been pounding um, S- severe Donetsk um, in a in much smaller pieces and segments, and they are they're, they're seeing some success for once, um, and which makes sense given the terrain of that environment, which is extremely flat and plays to Russia's strength in artillery and in ranging and things like that. Uh, and then lastly, I believe there was a another small counteroffensive by the Ukrainians that they started over the kind of the weekend in uh kind of the south southwestern um Ukraine. I can't I can't remember the the exact city, but they I think successfully staged a river crossing and we're pushing the Russians back. Um it was near Herson. It was near Hersan. So um with that where are we where's this thing gonna gonna end up?
1: So this is our crystal ball moment. Is that right, Sean? We're gonna look in yeah, by the way, by the way,
0: I'm I'm and... not gonna I'm not gonna show like another <laughs> uh another best hits at the at the very right, beginning Jake. of this, right. but I did I did predict Severo on a different
1: right. you know a different different episode. You you weren't on that one, but uh I've been saying that one for a while. All right, good. Um so here's what I think is gonna happen this we're really asking what's gonna happen this summer in Russia, Ukraine, leading into the end of the year. And then what's going to happen in the region and others? And I think from my from where I sit right now, which is like you know the end of May, you know, two thousand twenty-two, that Russia is shifted. It's lifted and shifted its its strategy. It, it tried conventional war. It was hilariously unsuccessful. Um, and they've the whole world is like, oh my god, we thought these people were so tough, and you know. But that aside. Um, they've shifted their strategy into this. It's going to be a bloody war of attrition. It, they're going to uh, engage more in heavy-handedness where human rights violations become not a bug but a feature of their warfare. Um, if you look at you know the general they've put in charge, whose name I, c- I can never pronounce on spec, you don't remember? Dvornikov. Dvornikov, Yeah. Who led the series, He's a veteran of the Chechen wars, which was a particularly brutal, and uh, was responsible for the heavy-handedness in Syria, where um, the Wagner group, specifically in Syria, um, you know, tortured uh, and killed you know terrorists. Everybody, but the collateral damage was high. Uh, they flattened cities, um, and they did this in Grozny. So I think collateral damage. Um, war of attrition as a way to bring pain to the ukrainian government so they finally submit and say you know okay we'll we'll go to the peace table but you know they you know russia has the upper hand um and uh so i think that's what russia's strategic aim is going to be and russia is betting that the West will not intervene in a direct way and allows Russia to cook Ukraine and skin them alive.
0: This is actually why I'm a little surprised by the way the Biden administration is handling this. So I think so far they deserve an A minus in terms of how they've handled this conflict thus far. I would say they were a little slow in the beginning to react and to supply the Ukrainians, but they quickly overcame it with alacrity. It gave them the equipment that they needed. Here's here's where they're starting to kind of edge into like B minus C plus territory. Right now, the Russians have effectively a blockade in the Black Sea. Um, If I were in charge, I would immediately be working with the UN. Um, In fact, I've reached out to a friend at the UN and said, why aren't you guys doing this? Um, But I would start working through the UN um, and NATO to establish an escort program so that you can, so that under a US flag or under a NATO flag or a UN flag, you have a convoy system that goes into the black sea escorts grain shipments, because grain is the key, out of the Black Sea. Otherwise, you're going to have a, a massive humanitarian uh, crisis come, you know, come the fall. And it's going to be in the Middle East, it's going to be in Africa, it's going to cause a massive amount of civil unrest and disorder. And you're going to have, you know, you're going to have in the, in the West, you're going to have further food inflation. And what what is um astonishing to me is that like people kind of see this slow-moving train wreck and they're not doing something that they can they can easily do. Now I know the possibility or potential of escalation goes way up, but if you just say, look, this is a humanitarian issue and we're coming and we're gonna, you know, steam forward. If you get within a thousand feet of one of our vessels. We're going to sink your Navy, which we can easily do, given Russian uh, performance, or at least the performance that we've seen. Uh, I know that's provocative and it's I like provocative. provocative.
1: You know me. I think if, if DC had more provocative of the right sort, we'd actually get more solutions. We're provocative of the third grade sort. That's the difference. But um, um, I think it's an interesting idea. I mean, here's, here's my concern, is that... Russia wants to manufacture a humanitarian crisis. They're weaponizing humanitarian Mm -hmm. crises, right? Not just in Ukraine, but around the world. Exactly. So So they have leverage. So they have leverage because if countries like Brazil and the Middle East, like Lebanon and others start having, you know, starvation, which leads to civil unrest that leads to bigger problems in those regions, they're going to, they're going to lean on the, on the U S and NATO to say, stop it. Um, Also the, um, Right now, the the sanctions. Per, I mean, first of all, you know Sean more than than most. That sanctions are a very blunt instrument, you know, right? And that and and that sanctions take a long time to bite, but also there are sanction runners, just like blockade runners, and it's really hard to keep countries like Hungary, as we've seen recently, Hungary, Germany, France, Italy, Austria, who have vested business interests in Russia, especially of energy. They can defect at some point, and come right. the fall when it starts getting cold again, and all this has been simmering for six months. You know the the Western alliance that you know the U.S. and Biden have, have carefully put together, and they get an A minus for may start to fracture and crumble, and then you know Russia's. You know I think they they get the A minus all of a sudden. So what? yeah. So and I that's think why. I think so, Russia has a plan here. And exactly, yeah.
0: and they, they 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 and they always do. That's what's so frustrating because, yeah. as they were slowly building up their natural gas assets, and the Germans were decommissioning nuclear power plants, it was very obvious what Putin was trying to do because he's not like he's not a dumb guy. No. In fact, um, my my view of what happened in the north is he was just fed a bunch of BS. By his intelligence people, and he yeah. his mistake was believing it.
1: Well, they, they but, may be dead now, but yes,
0: yeah. Well, and they that was probably their should be. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Well, the, the, but the 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 issue though is, or not the issue, where he deserves high marks. Yeah, is his willingness and unabashed, um, shamelessness in in just pivoting, right? Yeah. Like if that were the U.S. military, yeah. and we had a like a mess up like that, we would. We would continue to throw bodies at the problem. I mean, we would do it a little bit more intelligently, but right. we would continue. I shouldn't say bodies. We would continue to throw resources at the problem. Resources, yeah. Until until we solve it. Like if if the U.S. had conducted this invasion in the same way, there would still be U.S. forces out, you know, pushing toward Kiev, yeah. right, or Kiev. So. Um, he deserves high marks for after two weeks or whatever, three, a month Mm -hmm. saying this isn't working. Let's like narrow the scope. And, and he did. And then Kharkiv or Kharkiv failed. He -hmm. narrowed the scope again. Yeah. And now things are starting to work. And the one thing I've always said is the Russians
1: may be incompetent and corrupt, but they always learn. Always. Well, we have to remember that the Russians fight dirty and dirty can sometimes work. And that's something we have to get our strategic minds around. Um, so to your question about like the u n convoy, um here's why I'm skeptical. I think it's a great idea, but here's what and I say this having worked alongside several u n missions in in Africa uh and 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 working alongside in new york city and Geneva. Uh, particularly the Department of Peace, And
0: also, to be clear, I'm not saying, I'm not saying the U.S. I'm not, should, I know, you're not advocating the this, UN. So should, it's a good... Yeah. Yeah.
1: good well, no, what I would advocate is the
0: U.S. does it. The U.S. does yeah, it. Yeah. They just they just find the most legitimate way to do it is to have yeah. a U.N. like cover for it. And yeah, if that yeah. doesn't work, an EU cover. Oh. And if that doesn't work, a NATO cover. And if that doesn't work, we just do
1: it. It may be a NATO cover, but then you have other issues. But like, so if you did the UN, first of all, a couple structural bureaucratic reasons why is that, you know, Russia would veto it on the Security Council. Um, Second of all, is that the UN, the Department of Peacekeeping is not built for this. They are, you know, whatever they, I don't think they would say they are, but What they've turned into is a large, fat blob that sits on a grid square in Africa and sucks in lots of money and does very little and says they're doing peacekeeping. Um, So this idea of, now maybe you could do something like, um, it was it task force 151. You remember the international task force that against the Somali pirates in 2011 or 12.
0: Oh yeah. So yeah. that
1: might be a better model because then you have like um, an international naval task force that is not working for an international organization. Um, there was Japan, there was America, there were some other countries involved um, and they, you know, did some stuff and um you know, could we do that? So you can't bring NATO, once you bring NATO into it, you're risking, you know, World right. War III. Right, we
0: have two, two potential
1: companions, right? That's right. So if you have some sort of international task force, say led by Japan, like led by a party that's not party to this, um, and Japan right now is looking to flex its 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 military muscle for the first time in 70 years. And so there's some maybe some political appetite in Japan. I don't want to speak too loudly for Japan right now, but you know we're just or maybe, maybe
0: well, Australia maybe I guess they're part of the Five Eyes so or or, or
1: something somebody somebody who's not beholden to Russia but doesn't have a dog in the fight in Europe either. And so you know could they do it? If you have American ships there, then you're risking World War Three. It's like it's like the same problem with the no fly zone because if it's challenged and you know, an Arleigh Burke destroyer goes to the bottom of the Black Sea. Then what, right? Then what happens? That just gives um, us the
0: excuse we need to sink the Russian Navy.
1: Well, but you <laughs> know, then it could be it could be nuclear, though. I mean, when does it? Yeah. How, how long do we? How long does it take to go nuclear? You know, it's so. I mean, so I, so I, my
0: view know. on my my view on this has always been yeah. about ten times more aggressive than than the mm-hmm. U.S. Like the official U.S. policy, and that and that's for this reason. Putin already did something that's completely and utterly provocative, which is invade Ukraine. like it's completely yeah. unacceptable, and we didn't nuke him so I think my view is as long as you're you go in there and saying, you know you say, "Look, we don't aim to sink your ships. we're just here to make sure that the grain supplies get out if If you do engage with us, we will destroy everything you have in Ukraine, but we'll go no further." Um, or, you know, let's say the Black Sea. And then that could, if it were to escalate, we will go no further than Ukraine. But keep in mind, I think, I think the Russians understand now that we could wipe out their military in a very, at least in Ukraine, in a very short period of time, conventional military. Yeah. And they know we don't want to use nukes, <clears throat> we know they don't want to use nukes. But despite their rhetoric, in fact, there have been public statements recently that they have no intention of using tactical nukes in in the conflict. Now, to be fair, if we got involved conventionally, that that might go out the window um, because I think that's why they've come to their senses on that rhetoric because they know if they use conventional nukes, we would get involved. Not conventional nukes, um, you know, tactical, tactical nukes. Yeah. So but my, you know my point is that to your point people aren't playing this thing out a year out because you're exactly right not only do you have the grain issue with the inflation and things like that but you're also going to have energy inflation based and russia's going to have more leverage when it starts to get cold again and you're going to have defectors like the, the Germans, maybe not so much the French because they were smart enough to keep nuclear power plants and the you know strong nuclear industry. But um, you're gonna have people that wanna defect when the cold comes around. Yeah. And I, I think it's absolutely critical that you know we do so. But I I actually think your solution, I mean I think we worked out a policy problem, uh, came out with the best solution in real time, which is you're right, you get a third party. To do this and even like like Russia we'll we'll escort your ships too so that the Ukrainians don't you know don't fire on them right like it, it'll be like a white flag vessel it's for both parties um now Japan you know there's some there's some territorial disputes between the, the Russians and the
1: yeah Japanese I was, was network it could be it could, it could be somebody I'm not sure who it would be
0: yeah and, and but, Australians yeah. are probably too close to us. Is there
1: anybody else with a navy that sure, sure. we could find somebody India, maybe. India. Somebody who wants to be a player in great power politics. So I don't think we'd accept China. They uh, might volunteer.
0: Yeah, which would be <laughs> which would be a disaster. But uh okay, so so we get to fast forward to the fall. I, I think I think this to your point, this is where the Russians move more toward this gray zone sort of behavior and that is they do this war of attrition this hardcore conventional push to gain as much territory as they can and then they they freeze the conflict yeah and then and then what they do is they use this blockade to slowly starve out the ukrainian economy or just have it wither on the vine and then they slowly infest it with their own brand of Russian corruption. They start bribing people, sure. and they they affect a political change within Ukraine to get somebody in terms that are a little bit more advantageous to them. Like Putin, that's the one thing Putin can't do. He can't just stop. Like well, no Russian leader could stop this war. Because- I mean,
1: no. I mean, Putin's ego, where is, nobody knows where his ego ends and foreign policy in Russia begins, right? I mean, he is foreign policy that's why we can't be sure about the nuclear option for russia because nobody can really get inside of putin's head but you know i think what they're going to do is they're going to hold it in place make it bad destroy some infrastructure and then they're going to come the fall and winter they're going to invoke russia's oldest ally which is winter and let that do the damage and they did in 32 33 or the 31 32 they starved, you know, six to seven million Ukrainians in six months. That's more, that's about the same number as Jews who died in the Holocaust over four years. You know, that was a man-made starvation catastrophe. Some people said it was deliberate. Many people say it was deliberate to, you know, soften Ukraine, who didn't fully get on board to the Bolshevik agenda. And then after that they did, um, so they might do some version of that. And what could they live with? Well, if I think ideally, what they if, if they couldn't take Kiev, one thing they could try to do is they could take Odessa. They nice. could have basically, you know, Ukraine becomes a landlocked country with on its west flank is NATO, and everything else is surrounded by Russia. And Russia just has got to lock them in until they capitulate, um, and that that would be a solution, I think, for for Russia.
0: I think that is. I think that is the the, the only solution that they have yeah. right now.
1: Uh, well, no, we're not going to call this the final solution, though. Just be clear.
0: No, but that's what Putin called it. <laughs> did, did you see? His, <laughs> did you did actually read his, in speech? his
1: denazification agenda? He called this the final yeah. solution.
0: Yeah. No, he used. I mean, I I don't know what. That was the translation that was on the official, the official Russian government website. He used. That's how they translated it. So whatever that. No, it's it's maybe something
1: was lost in the perverse. Anyway, yeah, 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 perverse. But um, yeah, so that's that's my take on. I don't know what the West is going to do. I think also because if you think about it, the U.S. is leading this coalition. Uh, there now look poland romania and some and the nordic countries are very much pushing as well um you know but i think the us its own domestic politics the midterms coming up we'll see what we'll see what happens even the republican party this idea like 40 billion dollars for ukraine is very divisive so you know it, you know if the us became a soft player in this i'm not sure how that would impact anything
0: what, what's your take on what's going on in Belarus? You see they move they're, they're going to have um, some well, not war, some uh, not war games, but uh, training on the, on the border.
1: I think this is um, I, I think this is so war at the strategic level is armed politics. And I think this is a strategic level move. It's it's sort of diplomatic language from Putin to NATO. You know, you call it threats, call it whatever you'd like. But I think he's sending a message, some sort of diplomatic message with that infers intent and capability. The one thing he has going against him is that, you know, the West now kind of feels like, he's a little bit of a, of a paper bear, um, because you know, well, he also, is. Yeah. That, aside that, from the
0: new nu- aside from nuclear weapons. Yeah, exactly. Like, that I, he's in really, in, in, yeah. in one month, he erased 30 years of my own personal indoctrination on how effective the Russian military was.
1: Yeah. I mean, you were, you were not alone. The intelligence community is being asked some harsh questions by Congress right now between the Afghanistan, uh, debacle last summer and and Russian readiness now there there uh, there's a lot of people, uh, but I, I do think that you know if you're gonna if you're gonna threaten people, as you all know, Sean, you need two things: you need to have the will to actually carry out the threat, and the capacity to carry out the threat. Now we know he has got the will to potentially carry out threat. but the capacity now is really in question and so i don't know how effective any sort of military maneuverings on the border of nato and russia belarus really could be at this point with the exception of the nukes
0: so do you, so you don't think that putin convinced belarus like these military exercises are are not a prelude to belarus entering
1: the war it, it could. I mean, Belarus is a client state of Russia. Um, the war is changing. I think um, that 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 that's all possible. Maybe even likely.
0: Now, do you think Putin's going to do anything to strike out farther? I mean, there's a lot of chatter inside Russia, at least on their television shows and things like that, about getting the U.S. back for, you know. What is that? I mean, is that real? Is that, well, I, I think that I
1: think their their TV shows are kind of like our TV news shows now too, except that like a week or two ago there was this one retired colonel who just totally yeah. blew it. And it. Well, you know, saying this is not going in the way. It, yeah, he, was he was honest. honest. Um, yeah. and and uh, so we'll see what happens. You know, or doesn't happen to him from the future. Mm-hmm. But but I, I think that yeah, there's there's probably some some saber rattling, but I don't think that there's much. I mean, I think Putin's options are really quite limited right now. He can play the, you know, he, he could basically boil frog slowly strategy, as we've been discussing. I think that's probably his most, his best play. And when I say best, I don't mean morally good. I mean, I think if yeah. one was to be, in you know, in his shoes, that's what it's you It's his
0: maximizing yeah. course of action. I, I
1: think Excellent. the whole nuclear thing is, you know... He's got to be very careful about how he uses those in threats, Um, but he is going to probably redline that a little bit. But I don't, he says things that I think some of the back channels are negating, is what I've heard rumor-wise. So that's, uh, and also especially um, Lidov, who is this foreign minister who's the the Putin mini-me? Who was the president when Putin was uh, You know.
0: Oh, uh, uh, Medvedev. I,
1: I, yes, so Medvedev is like he's like the uh, the 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 like little junkyard dog on a leash and chief yipping 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 who says oh, a lot of oh, these things.
0: Oh, are you t- are you talking about? Because um, there's Medvedev who was like the the pre- president for a while. Yeah. And the um, foreign minister,
1: they, forget. Too. And then there's
0: the, the then there's the Chechen guy who's really. Oh, like and I'm talking about the, the Chechen, yeah, Chechen
1: guys like crazy. No, but like you know, yeah, you have um, you have some saber rattling. You see this in China too, and you know it just. I don't take that. I just I, I just kind of it's like when I hear crazy talk on CNN or Fox as well. I just I just kind of dismiss it as as crazy talk. And well,
0: uh, all this crazy talk about tactical nukes started with Chuck Todd. i I, 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 I was watching meet the press and and like out of the blue at the very beginning he's just he's just like well what what do you what do you think putin's going to use tactical nukes and i'm sitting there excuse my language i'm like what the fuck like where the
1: fuck did that come from
0: like it just
1: i you know i i don't say but you know but this is the first time in a generation like Like, when I joined the Army as a young 18-year-old, it was still the Cold War, the very, very, very end of it. But I grew up in an era where nukes were a thing. And then the last 30 years, we've had the privilege of nukes not being a thing. And suddenly, we have to recalibrate. And I think the world does as well. And there are many young people who have never lived under this terror of a nuclear threat. And Russia, I mean, worst-case scenario, I assume it could look something like the Cuban Missile Crisis um where it can get you know 0 to 1 million within 30 minutes um, now with that we make some assumptions that they've done maintenance on their nuclear fleet you know, all that stuff but leaving all that aside we we don't we don't want to gamble that they they haven't like you know done good maintenance so I, I think it's a new it's a new era for international relations and it's not a neo cold war i think that i think that frame is, does more damage than good because there's a lot of differences but we have a you know early 21st century i mean we're now living with the potential of a nuclear war in our lifetime and i think will you know will will there be who will be the first to unleash and you know, the nuclear taboo that was set after hiroshima you know and that's a good question for all of us to think about and then once that taboo is broken What follows thereafter? Do other countries feel now that they can do nukes? India, Pakistan, or uh, China and its neighbors, or, you know, goodness knows, in the Middle East between, you know, Saudi Arabia, Israel, and Iran. That could, lateral escalation could happen quickly there.
0: Well, fortunately, at least, as far as I know, the Saudis and the Iranians don't have nukes yet. Well,
1: it's possible, and I wrote my second novel about this possibility. Um, uh, Deep black is that Saudi Arabia could potentially buy nukes from Pakistan through a long-standing secret agreement if they needed them. Um, but that's a you know that's a theory that you can write novels about, but not nonfiction about. But there's been some belief in in circles in DC, and there's some disagreement about this. Is that when Saudi Arabia gave up its nuclear program, you know, decades ago, they secretly gave a lot of their material and research to Pakistan with the deal that if they ever needed a nuke, they could purchase, you know, one or a dozen or how many ever they needed.
0: What about China, Taiwan? I think even today, they flew, you know, they're flying other aircraft near and just exhausting. The Taiwanese Air Force?
1: I, I think, so calmly skeptical. I'm one of those people in DC who thinks that this is just kabuki theater and that, you know, China, I mean, if you think Ukraine's, as you would say in the army, a Sierra show uh, for the Russians, I mean, magnify that by 10 for for China trying to take Taiwan. I mean, they're still trying to ingest Hong Kong. Right. Mm-hmm. And Taiwan has been ready for this to, this total fight for 70 years. And, you know, a land, you know, they're talking about amphibious invasion of a country, you know, not easy to do. That's what, a hundred miles away or so? I don't know how close it is, but it's not easy. Yeah, it's um, not it,
0: it doesn't look it, as it's, close as it, it looks it's on the like. Map. It's
1: not like you're you have a huge land border as Russia did. And um you know, I think China has some problems though. I mean, China I, I mean, China, first of all, their military is unproven. There's a lot of saber rattling, but they're unproven military. And second, though, Taiwan, though, has a lot of political corruption in it. And so, you know, one of the the, the one of the things that is magical about Ukraine, which everybody loves, is that these underdogs have a fighting spirit, so let's keep trying not to be a real leader, not just a, like a an actor. Um, I'm not sure if that would emerge from Taiwanese leadership, um, but it is I do think this idea of, of China taking Taiwan by force by 2027 is a done deal is, is foolishness. I don't think it's you know for a lot of reasons.
0: All right, well, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next, you know, several months as we get to the fall, because the Russians are going to keep sending bodies through the meat grinder, and the Ukrainians are going to start getting worn out and tired. Now, I know they've mobilized, uh, like, a
1: lot. Um, well, their resources are just not – I mean, in some ways, it's like – this is a very crass a comparison that your viewers may hate but in some ways it's sort of like the u.s civil war the north versus the south the south were good fighters but they just they were too you know they're the you know the resources two-thirds of the united states was in the north and one-third was in the south and they just couldn't sustain it you know there's a lot of other things that happened in the civil war too but no matter how good you tactically operationally are it's just very hard to sustain these things and I think that's why Russia has moved to a game of attrition, because they know in the long run, and they don't care about throwing humans into the meat grinder to sustain their strategy. So I think you know we could do the, another show in Labor Day and reassess, but I I bet that unless there's some strange breakaway diplomacy, it's going to be more of the same.
0: All right, my friend. Um, I will see you again in the next segment. All right. If you enjoyed this video, hit like and subscribe, and I'll see you next time.